0: Hello, I'm Doug Plucknet, and welcome to the Leadership Connection, brought to you by our friends at Mobius. And today, my guest is Cliff Williams. I've known Cliff for a number of years. Uh, one of those strange things, Cliff and I actually met informally me online first, uh, you know, answering and, and questions and making comments and stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, so there were a number of things that we... Uh, topics that we discussed and commented on. And and one thing I enjoy about Cliff is he's a guy that uh, uh, he gets sarcasm. Uh, Being from New York, (laughs) it's one of those things that uh, when I uh, go out and and work with customers around the world, uh, occasionally the New Yorker comes out to me in a little bit of sarcasm and and all of a sudden I'll look and and see these strange faces on the group and I'll have to put my hands up and go, hey, you know what, I was really just kidding there. right?" So uh, Cliff is one of those people that even through writing, you could at times see that, you know, he gets that sarcasm and he puts it out there now and then just to see what kind of reaction we'll get. And I got a chuckle a lot of that. So when we first met at uh, a conference, uh, we, we shared a, not only a beer, but a few laughs for sure. So yeah. Cliff, it's great to have you here today. How you been doing?
1: Oh, it's great to talk uh, to uh, you, Yep. Yeah, I think you summed it up very very nicely uh you know we were definitely kindred spirits and kindred minds and so yeah when we finally did meet up it, it was it was great it was like meeting an old friend and uh yeah and you weren't afraid to to drop that sarcasm in and, and as you said it's it's something we both fall back on and um <laughs> I've, been, I've been great you know and of course obviously you know the situation being what it is miss seeing and meeting with with friends but um It is what it is, and, uh, you know, this is a nice alternative. So it's great to talk to you.
0: All right. So, Cliff, to help our audience here, uh, tell us a bit about your background, where you went to school, uh, the companies you've worked with, the different roles that you've uh, worked in.
1: Okay. Um, I'll do the abridged version. Uh, So originally from Wales and uh, now living in Canada, have been living in Canada for the last uh, almost 40 years now and Wonderful uh,
0: country, uh, by the way.
1: yeah we enjoy it we enjoy it um started off with the british steel industry and i got really lucky uh in that uh i i was chosen to to start on a project that was just starting out in in the mid 70s um with british steel where they had this thing called a computer Um, And in the mid-70s, they were like a semi-truck. They were huge things. But what (laughs) they were going to do was that they were going to try and run their maintenance and the maintenance systems through this thing called a computer. And they needed people to get involved to, you know, do job descriptions, procedures, uh, identify spare parts, all of the things that we take for granted now with the CMMS. and that was back in the mid-70s. And so I was really lucky in that I got to see firsthand the benefit of having these systems. And it was cool, it, it, was, it was really cool to, to, to see how it worked. And, and perhaps the coolest part of it all was that um, by the time we'd implemented it and had it running for one or two years, pretty much everyone in the organization saw the benefit from the supervisors, through the people on the floor, definitely from engineering and, and from finance. They were starting to see things that they could now act upon. So that was, that was cool. Um, then came to Canada with the whole idea of doing the same thing for the Steel Company of Canada. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't pan out. They weren't as, um, as progressive as they thought they were going to be. And that was okay, that was fine. So I, I kicked around in the steel industry for a short while, and then moved into the paper industry, uh, pulp and paper big in Canada, and again got extremely lucky um, in that I joined an organization that was trying to uh, implement what was in the 90s, the, the Japanese management way, the, the engaged, the empowered teams. So that was, that was cool because Anything was, you know, you could try anything anything you know, it was game for anything. Give it a kick, give it a try. And um, I, I ended up writing a book about that experience a- and uh, we ended up from being a, a very reactive organization to being one that was pretty much world-class in most measures. Um, then I moved on from there a little bit and got into packaging for a short while. And then I joined Coca-Cola, so big big company, joined Coca-Cola, joined Wrigley's and joined Kraft. And if I'm honest, I did not enjoy my time in the food industry. Uh, It just didn't suit me. Um, it, it wasn't, uh, where I felt comfortable. So after a short time with each of those, I, I moved on to join a chemical manufacturer that's based in Canada, but has plants all around North America and South America. And I joined them as a, as a corporate maintenance manager, and spent almost fifteen years with them before I took retirement uh, in in last September. But again, another another real lucky uh, experience where uh, they pretty much gave me carte blanche and uh, allowed me to develop systems, you know, analysis, doing all sorts of things that uh, I'd always wanted to do, and you know, didn't have. Uh, the authority to do it um, and did it and again we ended up the results were, were tremendous it Was the plants were achieving you know 98 availability it was it was incredible um, and the the best part was that i got to work with you know 10 11 sometimes 12 plants 12 different cultures um you know the different difference between northern ontario and southern chile the culture is very different. So the even though the problems are kind of the same, they're not exactly the same. So I took that different approach. Um, along the way, I've also uh, acted as a consultant um, for a couple of companies, uh, people in processes being one. Um, I've taught for PMAC, which is the Canadian equivalent of SMRP, and I've Been teaching asset management uh, as per fifty-five thousand for the last five years. Um, I've done, as you know, conferences where where we always meet up. I've done conferences around the world. So, all in all, I've been a pretty lucky guy. So uh, that's it. That's that's my life.
0: So, looking back at that career, what would you say you were first recognized as a leader? Was there a specific project you were working on, or or something that that you can come back and 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 let us know about?
1: Uh, I, I think that it's it not so much a yeah. I guess it was a project because it did take quite a while. But um, when I took over the role uh, of maintenance manager in the uh, in the paper mill, as I said, it was. Kind of reactive, and it was no one's fault. It was it was really because uh, the paper mill was the first of its kind in North America. It was a one hundred percent recycled newsprint mill, and I'm not too sure if there ever was another one that was purely one hundred percent recycled. Uh, and that brought along with it all revision one problems because every time we pick up a drawing it would be revision one this was the first time that uh, a lot of this equipment was being used uh, or at least being used for the purpose of running recycled newsprint Um, and we found that we had to make um, some really big adjustments on the fly Uh, you know we'd have to remove covers off rolls we'd have to do all sorts of things because uh, the recycled product just wouldn't run the same way that virgin pulp would and as we kind of progress from being this you know fighting 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 to a point where hey we're starting to hit daily targets then then people start to recognize that what we were doing was, was, was a good thing you know and and that it was going to bring success not just to the maintenance group but to the organization as a whole, and. Um, And and that's when people, uh, as I say, kind of recognized it. And and again, the lucky part is that with that recognition came uh, a little bit more autonomy. Uh, And that was that was cool.
0: Outstanding. Um, And you've worked in some tough industries. I I will say that Uh, uh, you come in and you say you didn't care for the food business. Boy, That is is one, you know, it's low, low profit margin and lots of pressure to put that product out the door. Uh, paper is a tough one. I, I just in the last uh, few years worked with one that was semi-local here where I didn't have to fly, and they had me come in and, they, you know, gee, can you come in and teach us about RCM? And uh, I said, yeah, let me, let me come up and we'll, we'll have a discussion about it since you're driving distance away, right? So in a couple of days that we had discussions about, you know, where they should go, what are some of the things they should do, they had two fires inside the machine. Yeah. two separate days, right and i said to him okay number one you got leaks in there and that's why you're having fires in there right so you need to stop those and until you get stuff like that under control the stuff that you really want to do that that you're looking forward to isn't going to happen right you got to figure right. out a way to put those fires out so um also looking at your career um is there one or two people that you looked upon as as mentors and, and helped guide you in your career or advise you that you'd like to talk about.
1: Yeah, and, and again back back to that paper industry because it really was the you know the sort of the catalyst for uh, what went on afterwards. Without it, I don't think uh, anything would have happened. But uh, the the first boss that I had there was a gentleman who had come up from Brazil because the the paper machine had actually been assembled and built in Brazil, then disassembled, shipped to Canada and rebuilt. So the gentleman had come up there and he had decided to move to Canada. And um, he was uh, a guy that really knew how to, how to handle people. And he was a guy that really was technically extremely sound he was you know he was an engineer that helped build the machine so he was extremely technically sound but uh, more than that was his ability to uh be humble uh, even though he he knew a a lot more than any of us were ever going to learn he was extremely humble and extremely enabling and uh I, i i don't think there was a time where I went to him and said, you know, I'd like to try this because, and I don't think it was a time where he said, no, you can't. It was okay, but you know, what are the risks? What can we do? What can we watch out for? Okay, give it a try. And that really was, became the way I operated. And as I say, it was the catalyst for everything else. And when when he moved on, he moved on to a, a much bigger role in the organization uh, I, I was lucky enough to have another gentleman uh, who wasn't necessarily uh, as good a people manager as the first manager, but was a great boss and mentor to me in pushing the uh, the analytical side of things. Um, somebody asked on LinkedIn not so long ago, you know, when did you first do RCM or learn about it? things like that? And... And that that was it it was back in the 90s except we didn't know it was rcm uh, we, we had uh, we had as i said revision 1 problems and so we had to take the approaches okay what's this what's this piece of equipment supposed to be doing Well, why you know what's it failing and we kind of asked the seven questions of rcm or, or traditional rcm anyway um, and The the second boss that I had was a guy that really promoted that, and you know, kind of drove us to the point where, okay, uh, based on what the first guy had done, where it was an engaged workforce, the second guy then used that engaged workforce and kind of mentored me and and guided me through, so that, you know, I felt confident, uh, not knowing many of the answers, uh, and uh, you know, looking for the answers, and and he, he was very very supportive. So there were two and then the last gentleman who was again absolutely uh, brilliant for me was the, the my boss at the chemical company and uh, again he was one of these guys that if i went to him and i said you know i'd like to do this with the plants i'd like to get this analysis i'd like to do all of those things he'd ask the questions and I, again i don't think there was a time where he said no it was always it was always a case of what can happen what should we do and and it was more uh, these things were more systems oriented, you know, and analysis oriented, uh, getting as much information as we could, because uh, the, the the technical and the material side of the chemical industry is very much controlled. You know, so it wasn't okay. I want to use, you know, a wooden valve in there. It was no, no. Uh, okay, we, we part of the reason that we were able to hit ninety six percent availability was that we had absolutely the correct materials for the application. Um, But what I was interested in was, you know, what about the information? And by the time we had finished there, I think there was nothing that you could ask about in the maintenance realm that we couldn't get you with maybe four or five clicks, uh, you know, of the computer. where we we got our systems working perfectly. So, and uh, again, very, very supportive of that.
0: It's, it's outstanding and you know i, I like to comment with where you said she's a guy that, that never said no but he had a process right it was right I'm not going to say no I want to hear what you what you want to do and then we're going to talk about what's the upside what's the downside give me the potential so there's structure there right and that's what lots of people sometimes miss out on is to say you know improvement really does come from your people but there still has to be a process where, where you say all right, right. let let's bring some structure to this so that it's repeatable, right, so that people right, understand right. that you don't just go out there willy-nilly and change things. You, there's a process by which you consider, right, and bring it forward. Let's discuss that, and, and that's really how you make some great gains, isn't it? Yeah.
1: No, that, that's, that's it exactly. And, you know, in my role then as, uh, as the corporate guy, uh, you know, we would have, say, some of the plants would come and say, you know, you know with our CMMS and with our systems and things like that, could i'd like to do this and we would have this discussion exactly what you just said have this process say okay, why do you want to do it what's the benefit you know what will it take all of these things and quite often we'd find okay that the the plants would want to change something that was kind of almost fundamental in the system because it would suit the way that they did it and but we'd, we we'd got an atmosphere whereby it was okay for me to say to them no we're not going to do it because yes I understand it will help you out but that's a big fundamental change that we're going to make that 11 other plants won't gain anything from so the effort and the reward are not necessarily there let's look at a different way of achieving what you want and that's what we would do and then we would Typically, find a different way to achieve what they want. So, so that had what I, what I'd learned, you know, from those three gentlemen was okay. It's okay to say no, even though they didn't much, and it it's, doesn't stop at no though. It it you move on from there. Okay, if the answer is no, what else can we do? What can we try? And and it was good. And uh, again, I, that's something that I took from those three gentlemen was okay if you can justify it and you can make sure that it the the reward is worth the effort yeah let's give it a try
0: all right so looking back on that time and, and those things are, are there is there one accomplishment that you would say you're most proud of and uh, specifically for our listeners what would that be
1: mmm that's a toughie but um, okay and, and uh, Again, it's uh, Doug knows that I'm very much focused on the people side of things, um, and I think the biggest achievement of all was that when I first joined the chemical company, uh, we we would get together and we would get all of the ma- the maintenance managers, bring them into Toronto, and have a three day you know group session, and uh, when I first joined it was almost three days of me talking, me discussing, me probing, pushing, whatever. And um, the the maintenance managers would sit in the room and were almost afraid to share their secrets, you know, because there'd been a kind of an attitude before I joined of competition and they'd been promoted by the organization to sort of say, you know, there's a competition for capital funds. So you all have to kind of prove your worth before you get this capital fund. So that idea of competition was there a little. And so the, the, the managers wouldn't talk to each other or, or there wouldn't be much learning or anything like that. Uh, by about year six, five, six, whatever, uh, I didn't speak at all. And That was the biggest accomplishment, I think, that I ever had because the the amazing learning that these guys got from each other and, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling that it was okay to pick up the phone and phone the guy in Chile or phone the guy in British Columbia and sort of say, did you have this problem? I seem to remember we talked about this in the meeting and, you know, and we would always start our meetings with the good, the bad, the ugly. And they would openly share the ugly stuff because they were hoping to get you know, some, some sort of help and, and uh, understanding how other people had dealt with it. And, and it was great, it was okay. I'd send out a, a notice saying, okay, we're having our three-day meeting, let's get topics going. And uh, the topics almost being left off uh, I, and it didn't involve me and that was, that was so cool. It was so it was so neat and we've talked about it a lot since um, you know and that that change that transformation um, that really allowed everyone to to succeed and you know and it's the old uh, term that we used to use in the, in the empowered workforce is synergy where you know the sum of the group was certainly uh, more valuable than the sum of the individuals so uh, that was that was I think. My most enjoyable.
0: Outstanding. Um, so now that you if, you know have to, and and make a change like that, and you're looking to say, all right, so we need to hire somebody, right, uh, or promote somebody. What are some of the skills that you look for in leaders when you you're a manager that's that's going out to hire?
1: Um, the hardest one and perhaps the most important one is 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 attitude and it's really difficult to to measure Uh, but uh, attitude and and approach and sort of personality and those types of things for me were always the key things Um, if i felt comfortable if i was doing an interview process if i felt comfortable with the person and all of those and, and, and it might sound strange, but I always believed that we could teach the technical if we had to. We could teach the skill if we had to.
0: Exactly. We couldn't,
1: teach, we couldn't teach the attitude. We couldn't teach the approach. So if they didn't come in with, with that, you know, and, and it happened many times where people were uh, technically adept, very, very good, you know, at technical and, i would just sort of say just not the right fit you know and and that really comes down to okay uh, when when we talked about how you handle the problem it was obviously command and control or you were the one that had to make the decisions and all of those things so uh you know unless we were kind of really behind the eight ball trying to convert those was a lot more difficult and and uh you know in Books like Good to Great by Jim Collins and things like that, they say, you know, it's actually better to keep a vacancy than to hire the wrong person. Uh, and that is for sure, because <laughs> sometimes we made mistakes <laughs> and, <laughs> and we hired the wrong person. And, uh, yeah, yeah it, it caused problems. So um, that, that's really what, what it was all about for me was the fit, you know, would they, would they fit into what we were trying to achieve? Uh, And given that, uh, you know, they were coming into an organization that had that attitude and had that environment, um, they weren't even likely to succeed because, uh, you know, the trades, this had got down to the tradespeople, where the tradespeople felt empowered and engaged. So to bring somebody in who was going to be uh, dictatorial or command and control, uh, then performance was gonna drop off. So it wasn't just, you know, we get along. It's this is what we've decided is our kind of operating environment. And this is our approach. And so we want somebody to fit in there. So that, that's what I look for.
0: Well, you're a good straight man, Cliff, because in that answer you actually lead right into the next question that I had for you when I go <laughs> to conferences and talk with people, especially people that, that I'm just meeting. I'll ask them, uh, cause I, I'm a, a voracious leader, reader, excuse me, <laughs> this leadership thing every time the word comes out. So I read all the time uh, to, the, to the point where, you know, especially if I'm on the road, it'll be two, three books a week. Um, is there a book or a course that you take in your career that you can tell our listeners about that made it change? So that they... The, the, you look at it and look back on it and say, "Wow, that was something
1: really brilliant. yeah." Um, I think uh, uh, one of the books that um, helped me um, in this kind of leadership thing is the book I just mm-hmm. mentioned, "Good to Great," by Jim Collins. Um, that's a book that it's it's an old book now i think it's actually going out of print um but it was one that described what good leaders uh and it was one of those things where it was a, a reaffirmation of what i thought were, if, you know what was what i should be doing that that really was the um uh, the right approach and it was reading that book and, and sort of saying okay now I kind of understand some of the sciences behind this and, and the realities of situational leadership and all of these things and how, I, you know, I didn't know it had a, had a title, but I knew that I'd been treating people differently and all of this. so it was a great reaffirmation that said, okay, you're, you're okay with carrying on with this way. And this is the way that some great leaders have achieved what they, they've been able to achieve. So that for me was, um, I, I think the big, had perhaps the biggest influence. Um, my my challenge always has been, and I think you remember this Doug, is that I, I always look for the alternative viewpoint. So Definitely. whenever I attend r- the training or conferences, I'm always looking for the alternative viewpoints. (laughs) You know, I'm actually getting as much out of looking for the alternative viewpoint as I am at listening to what's being said. So um, that's why, for me, the the book Good to Great was, it was that reaffirmation that I should continue doing what I was doing. And and, yep, there was nothing wrong with it.
0: And and that alternative viewpoint, um, I'm ashamed to admit this. I, I was probably out working as a consultant for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Uh, and I would give the, the after the course, the, you know, the review sheet or the survey. Right. But it was seven or eight years before I added the question, what didn't you like? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a real important piece. Right, right. Right. Especially because when you're teaching things about continuous improvement, how are you not putting that question out there? Right. Right. What right. didn't you like? What 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 should we change? Yeah. Right. That's that's a great comment, Cliff. Um, So moving on here, if you were to pick one way or the other, would you say leadership is a natural skill or a learned skill?
1: <laughs> you've got to ask that, haven't you? Um, OK. <sighs> Personal, me, I believe it's a natural skill. I believe that you can teach leadership techniques. I really do that there are techniques that will make people who are not natural good leaders into being better managers and and pretty much leaders. But I think it's a lot easier and it comes more naturally if it's nature rather than nurture, um, it's a tough question though because you're going to have as many people say it's the other way around. But uh, I think I found that go back to these the three examples of of the people who were great mentors for me. Um, they were natural leaders. There was nothing taught yeah. about what they did. There was nothing you know convoluted about what they did. They. Even though they had the process that you described, I didn't know they had a process that you described. And they didn't know they had a process that you described. They just felt it was the right thing to do. And it felt it was the right way to lead. And and that kind of helps me come down on the side of, yep, it's, it's more nature than it is nurture. But I do honestly believe that a lot of the leadership techniques, you know, the trying of empowering, it just is a little... For me, it's a lot easier if, if you're a, a, a natural leader.
0: All right. So that leads into our last question, which is kind of similar, really. Um, I've heard the statement and read the statement even as well that you're either a leader or a manager. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I think if you're not both, then you're not doing your job. Um, you know, you have to have leadership, but you also have to have management. Uh, yeah, as part of your role as a leader, you have, still have to manage. Now, what that manage means can mean different things. It doesn't mean micromanage. It doesn't mean hands-on absolutely everything, but you still have to manage because, uh, you will still have the responsibilities, so you will manage but how you manage and and uh, what you manage will be determined by how well you want to be a leader and and how you want to achieve your goals. Um, but you still have to manage. It's it's both. If you're not doing both, you're not going to get you know the the best results that you can. You can stop at management. That's great, and you don't get the you know the the added that leadership brings. And if you think that you can just be leadership and go running around, you know, and everything's fine and everybody's empowered and everybody's engaged, but you're not managing the process and you're not managing uh, towards the goals, then you're not, you know, you're not succeeding. So to me, um, you have to be both. Uh, I, I don't see any other, any other way.
0: All right. I like that answer. Fantastic. Clifford, it has been great catching up with you today. Um, it's, it's been a, a crazy uh, year, more than a year now, hasn't it? Where those of us that uh, have been playing in this community for quite some time haven't been able to see each other face to face. So it's at least great to hear your voice. Um, I enjoyed having you as a guest and uh, we'll probably have you on again, hopefully in the future if you're up for that.
1: I'm definitely up for it, Doug.
0: (laughs) All right. Again, that's that's not
1: something you should have to ask me. You know, I like to talk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll pick some different things to talk about and share with people. And as I said, I enjoyed catching up with you today. Thanks so much. Catch up
1: with you, Doug. Great to catch up with you, and thank you very much. And stay safe.
0: All right. So this has been Doug Plucknett and the Leadership Connection. Have a great day.